Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns with me, Abby Rancor. This podcast is a place to learn about faith, theology, politics, history, and some fun random things along the way. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in this week for this Bible episode. Very sorry this is going up a couple of days late. Um, It's been a crazy weekend. My husband and I decided that we are going to sell our condo. Um, We're building a house. I think I mentioned, I don't know, a few podcasts back that we were looking for houses and we're going to have new construction. That's going to be ready in January. But since the housing market is so hot right now, we're going to sell our condo now. And then we'll stay with family members between when the house sells and when our house is ready. So we decided that we were going to do that on like Thursday. And then you know, we've been scurrying, trying to get the place ready and like getting rid of as much stuff in here as we can, uh, before we show the house for cleaning. Uh, and then it was my grandma's memorial yesterday, uh, last night actually. And that was really a good time. Uh, definitely more tears. So I was just, um, tired and trying to prep, you know, for all that. So, that was, uh, it was a good memorial. And then today we're actually going out for a grad party for my cousins. So there's a lot going on this weekend. Um, and so, yeah, this got a couple days late because in reality, I had all the Bible verses read. I had my questions, um, written out, but the questions that came up in this section of the Bible, which honestly surprised me a little bit because I haven't read Leviticus or Numbers, um, that often, which is, probably bad, but I just really honestly thought most of it didn't apply. Um, but as I was going through Leviticus and numbers, a lot of questions came up about what actually does apply to today and what does not, because they mentioned such a wide variety of topics in these laws that God is laying out to the Israelites. And some of them apply today, like the 10 commandments, do not murder, um, you know, all those, the 10 commandments. Um, but then some of them were seemed very specific to that time period and they don't apply today. Other ones like the food laws applied all the way until um, God basically reversed them in the New Testament. So I had to really dig through and take time to go in and research about what which laws I believe are still in place today and which ones are not. Because, for example, uh, in this section, which I'll get into more, but in this section, um, God lays out a bunch of sexual morality rules, and one of those, it talks about homosexuality. And um, a lot of progressive Christians today reject the idea that homosexuality is not good or not of God. They say, that's totally fine. The Bible never actually says this. And and they group it in with one set of laws that doesn't apply today when other Christians group it in with a set of laws that does apply today. So I really had to go through a lot of these laws and f- try to figure out, you know, what my opinions were about each one of these things, because it's important to read everything in context and know the meaning behind the rules to see if those still apply. So anyway, we'll get into all those individually because I read this very interesting article from someone who really did not like Christians, it seems. He was criticizing Christians for saying that homosexuality was wrong, but then um, saying things that like, do not eat pork or do not cut your hair, like 
for breaking those rules, but insisting that the homosexuality rule should still apply. So I'll read a portion of that as we uh, get into it, but let's just start with a quick summary. Okay, so this week we did Leviticus 18 through Numbers 11. And as I said, we there was a lot to talk about in here. So let me start at the beginning. In Leviticus 18, God is talking to Moses, and he specifically says, do not do as they do in Egypt or Canaan. So they had just come from Egypt, and the Canaanites were kind of all around them in this period. And he specifically, like, uh, pre, pref, what is it called? Prefaces. He prefaces this section by saying, do not do as they do in Egypt or Canaan, because they had a lot of pagan worship in, in these places. So do not do that. Um, so in Leviticus 18, he lays out, uh, very specific, like sexual relation rules. And so it's like, do not have uh, sexual relations with close relatives. And then it gets very specific into like, do not with your, do not have sex with your mom's sister. Do not have sex with your, um, like it goes through a bunch of different relations of, of people, but it lays out basically don't have, um, sex with anyone that's like a close relative. It also talks about sacrificing children to Moloch, which I had to look this up because the Bible talks about this multiple times, but never goes into super, super specific detail, I don't think, at least not that I've run into yet. Um, this was a very specific pagan practice where in order to be initiated into this uh, cult, um, you had to sacrifice your child by burning them. And so the Canaanites did this. This is part of saying, do not do what the Canaanites do. I'm not sure if anyone, I mean, I'm not sure if anyone in Israel or like if any of the Israelites were doing this currently, or if they were just saying, hey, you know, I'm just going to preemptively say to never do that. Um, but it was a common practice in Canaan to burn your child as a sacrifice to the pagan gods. This is also where, this is also where God talks about homosexuality. And this is not the first place where he has. So, homosexuality was talked about a little bit in the Sodom and Gomorrah story, where they said, okay, Sodom and Gomorrah is disobeying me. They've been corrupted. They're, you know, um, they're not worshiping me essentially. And when they went into the, uh, walls, like within the borders of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, their men surrounded this house and demanded to have sex with the angel, which was, who was a man. So, um, that showed like, implied that homosexuality was not something that was pleasing to God. But this reference is more, you know, explicitly, it says this reference is more, you know, explicit and says, do not lie with man as you do with woman. So a lot of these rules are to help, you know, you can clearly see that these rules about like sexual intercourse are two full purpose. Like one of them is to prevent this like inbreeding between relatives and to, prevent, I would assume, birth defects. Uh, and the other one is to keep the Israelites being fruitful and multiplying. Obviously, if you're, uh, like, homosexuality is not going to produce children, so um, that is is part of the rule. But this is where that article comes in about cherry-picking Leviticus. So I wanted to read part of this to you because um, basically this author does is 
I mean, if you read the whole article, it's very clear that they are not a fan of Christians, um, and especially not a fan of Christians who say that homosexuality is wrong because of the Leviticus chapter, because they claim that in Leviticus, there are many things that Christians do not obey. Um, And so it's very hypocritical to say that they should follow the homosexuality law without following all these other Leviticus laws that are in the same section of the Bible, which from an outside perspective, I could totally see, especially if you're, if you weren't like, if you're not educated on the, on the Bible, it is easy to say like, okay, well, it says right here, no homosexuality. But then if you literally just keep reading, it says a bunch of these rules. And so if you're only reading Leviticus and you're not a Christian, I totally get how this could seem backwards. And some of these things I really didn't know before I went and researched them. I've always been a little bit confused on tattoos, a little bit confused about like the mixing of fabrics, those kinds of things. Um, So I went and researched them. But these are the specific things that the author of this cherry picking Leviticus article points out. And I'm, uh, I'll link that uh, article below so you can go read the whole thing. But they say that uh, Christians should not be getting tattoos because Leviticus 1928 says, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. He goes, so no tattoos, all those crucifixes and Jesus saves tattoos will have to go guys. Um, also the tone of this article is so snippy and sarcastic. So I don't, I don't love it, but, um, yeah, it just seems they just come off as pretty bitter, but it's fine. Um, so tattoos, I looked at a few different Bible commentaries about this or just Christians opinions. You know, I tried to have a mix there, but a lot of Christians now believe that tattoos are okay. I do not have any tattoos because I've always kind of been on the fence about this. I don't think my parent, my parents don't love tattoos. Um, and I've never particularly loved them, but I was unclear about what the Bible uh, said because I was aware of this verse that said, do not tattoo yourself. But I also heard people say like, oh, that rule doesn't apply anymore. But I had never looked into why. So the banning of tattoos, and I'll link all the articles that say this, but the, the an article that I found or a commentary I found says that the banning of tattoos was specifically linked to pagan practices. So if you read the, the arc or the uh, verse again, it says you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on themselves. So it kind of couples these two laws together. You shall not make any cuts and do not make tattoo marks on yourself. Well, it says do not make any cuts for the dead and do not tattoo marks on yourself. So this article explained it, that the Canaans who God just said to not be like the Canaanites, um, the Canaanites would, whenever someone died, whoever, like one of their ancestors or one of their relatives died, they would cut their arms uh, as kind of a grieving thing. It was a pagan practice that they would cut themselves when someone died. So he said, do not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo marks on yourself. So the, the Canaanites would also tattoo themselves with pagan gods. And that would be a sign of, of worship with them. So since these two are coupled together, people say that it is implied that both are in application to pagan worship. So you can get tattoos as long as it's not for pagan worship. The purpose of this section was to have the Israelites stand out from Canaanites 
and the Egyptians around them. So they didn't want to look like the Canaanites. Um, so it seems like it was a very specific ban on tattoos that was only applicable to pagan worship and um, in coupling with cutting yourself for the dead. The other thing that uh, this author complains about is that in Leviticus 19.27, it said, you shall not round off the side growth of your heads nor harm the edges of your beard. So in this, I was also confused about this. I had never looked this up. Uh, so a lot of people say, oh, you don't think homosexuality is good? Well, you cut your hair so you don't even follow all the rules. Well, th again, this is right before that tattoo um, verse. So it's in coupling with standing apart from the Canaanites. And um, I found another article that was talking about how the Canaanites, as another form of pagan worship, which this whole section really relates to, is that the Canaanites would shave their head in such a way that would, like, after, uh, they, it would model pagan gods. So they would say, okay, I'm going to worship the sun god. I'm going to shape my beard and shave my head in such a way in a pattern or like a, I don't know if it was like a portrait or if it was a certain pattern associated with pagan gods. And that would be a form of worship. So the Israelites were not to do that. They were not to fully cut their beard, harm the edges of their beard uh, in pagan worship or in resemblance to a false god. So it sounds like a lot of biblical scholars do not think that this just was a blanket ban on cutting your hair. Only, um, only related to pagan worship. And I think that makes sense because later on, and, and we'll get to it later on in, uh, it's either numbers or the end of Leviticus. They talk about the Nazarene pledge, which means if you take this pledge, you're going to be consecrated to God. And there's for a short, for a, a certain time period when you are just dedicated to God, the symbol of that was not cutting your hair. Well, it sounds like only a few people are going to take the Nazarene pledge, which implies everyone else is cutting their hair. It's not like they would make that a rule uh, for the Nazarene pledge if that was already not happening. Like if the Israelites were already not allowed to cut their hair, and then you take this pledge and you're just also not allowed to cut your hair, there would be no need for a distinction there. So it sounds like most Israelites were cutting their hair, just not in a specific way to signal pagan worship. The other thing is, the other thing the author mentions is food laws, which um, that's a, a pretty simple one uh, to refute since in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament, um, Paul has the vision where a blanket comes down with all of the like unclean animals and God tells him to go eat from it. And he essentially makes all these unclean animals clean. And so Christians can eat these foods. Um, yeah. And again, I can see how if you were just reading Leviticus, this would make sense where you're like, you're breaking all these rules. If the author of this article had read the entire Bible, he would have found that those are pretty outright that uh, God kind of undoes the unclean animal laws. Another one is Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or spirits. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. He said, translated, no horoscopes, no psychics, no fortune tellers allowed. I completely agree. I don't think you should do horoscopes, psychics, or fortune tellers. So 
that one, I mean, still in effect. Um, and then Leviticus 19.16 uh, says, Thou shalt not go up and down as talebearer among thy people. So he, the author says, No gossiping, no heat magazine. Oh, the horror. Okay, so again, pretty sarcastic. But the, the problem is, but his issue is that Christians gossip and you can't gossip or read gossip magazines or whatever because Leviticus says that and Christians don't follow it. Okay, this gets back to a larger thing about Christians not being perfect human beings. So back in this time, if you gossiped about someone uh, and then you became aware that you gossiped and that was against the rules, you would have to go sacrifice an animal, make a sin offering um, at the altar to be cleansed of your sin. However, now we have Jesus. So when we make a mistake or we sin, we don't have to do that. It doesn't mean that gossiping is good. Like the fact that if we sometimes gossip, uh, that if Christians sometimes, sometimes gossip in modern day times that we don't think that we shouldn't be gossiping, you know? So I think that one's a little bit misdirected as just like Christians aren't perfect, but we still agree that you shouldn't gossip as opposed to the other, uh, laws that are a little bit more confusing. Um, but yeah, so again, like, I think it is important though, to remember how we're carrying ourselves as Christians and really try to keep these laws that are still in effect today. And here's what I say, want to say about these rules in general. When I'm reading these rules, I pretty much assume that they apply unless, you know, if I'm confused about one, I'll go look it up. And usually there's a very, very specific implication to the Israelites, like do not trim the edges of your beard. Okay. That one is specifically tied to pagan practices that God is telling them not to participate in or like do not cut your bodies. That is again, a pagan practice. So it doesn't apply now because there's not pagans all around us and I'm not, pa- the, the purpose of me cutting my hair is not for pagan worship. So in that way, those rules don't apply anymore. But I don't think as a general blanket statement, you can just say the Old Testament rules don't apply anymore because yes, we're not going to go to hell for committing them or sinning in that way. We're not going to go to hell, but these rules were put in place to do what is best for us, to um, have the best life. And I think that stays constant, whether you have Jesus yet on the scene or not, because things like, you know, this disease prevention stuff and, um, not sleeping with relatives, like that is going to bring the best life, um, for you. And so we can't just blanketly say, Oh, old Testament, uh, that's before Jesus. So that doesn't, that doesn't matter. I think they all apply because Jesus came to fulfill the law, except for ones that were specifically for like very specific things that the Israelites needed to do because of their setting or time period. Um, so yes, I think, I think that is, um, that is my opinion on that. Oh, there were a couple more that the author in this uh, article didn't talk about, which out of just fairness, I feel like I would like to. Um, but in the one, one of them that I was always confused on is in Leviticus 19. The Bible talks about God saying that you're not supposed to, to mix two types of something. So one of them is fabrics. 
And in Leviticus, it just says, do not wear clothing of mixed fabrics. But in Deuteronomy, it kind of clarifies it and says, do not wear garments that are mixed with wool, like a mix of wool and linen. Do not combine those. And so, so what I didn't realize, and I've seen a lot of Bible commentary talk about this, um, is that, you know, there's a large distinction in Leviticus between priests and between like the rest of the Israelites. So this command was to the rest of the Israelites to, to not wear that wool and linen because it was, that's how they made priestly garments. The under kind of the undergarments were linen. And then the colorful part on top was wool. And so the mixture of linen and wool like that was specifically set aside for priests. Um, so it was forbidden for the layperson to dress like that because that's how priests were. And priests were set aside in a very kind of hierarchical structure um, to deal with the holy things. Same way you couldn't mix certain fragrances, like a layperson couldn't mix certain fragrance, fragrances because they were considered holy fragrances and they were dedicated to God. They also talk about not uh, having two different animals in a field, like don't have them work the field, two different kinds of animals. This is practical in the sense that like two different animals could have um, different yokes, like which comes back as a theme many times. But uh, if two animals are bearing different yokes, it could be bad for uh, the animals. Um, and then it says don't plant different seeds in the same field, um, which uh, Jesus told a parable, I think it was in Matthew, about planting two different types of seeds in one field, and one of them was more like a weed and choked out the other plant. And so I think it was just a way to separate those. So there was a practical element to this, but I also saw some commentary saying that there was, this is just a, um, it's practical, but it's also showing a division between like clean and unclean things, holy and unholy things, and really setting up a precedent of honoring what is holy and keeping things like separate between holy and unholy. So you can't have like a clean animal working with an unclean animal, uh, different types of plants shouldn't mix things like that. So I think there's kind of a practical purpose and an underlying uh, purpose. Um, another interesting thing in Leviticus 19 was that they said to not reap the edges of the fields and to leave that for the poor, which is, I, I like that there's a constantly an emphasis on, leaving things for the poor or giving a, a tenth to the poor or um, being just generous in general and taking care of the poor. So they were not to reap the edges of their field or go back for like a second pass to try to get everything. They were supposed to leave that in the field so the poor could collect it. Um, it says to not practice divina divination or seek omens. So again, no horoscopes or fortune tellers. Christians should not be doing that even today. I think that definitely applies. Um, it talks about the no cutting hair or tattoos, which again, um, we've talked about. It also emphasizes, um, respect for the elderly. So to respect your elders and to treat foreigners well in your land. However, it does say that the foreigners, like when God commands Passover later, um, it says that the foreigners do have to celebrate Passover as the Jewish, as the Israelites do. So um, there were like some expectations set up for foreigners, but then you were also supposed to treat them well. Okay, in Leviticus 20, it talks about the um, punishment for various sins. So many of them are the death penalty. So, um, I mean, they're all pretty serious ones that are punishable by the death penalty. And then some of them are like 
basically you have to repay the injury plus a certain amount of money. Leviticus 21 talks about rules for priests. And again, this is a distinction between things that are holy and things that are not holy. Priests had a higher standard than the lay person. They could get married, but they it had to be to a virgin. Um, they couldn't have been divorced before, stuff like that. And and they were just set to a higher standard than, than the normal Israelites. In Leviticus 22, they talk about um, treating offerings to God with the utmost respect. So, like, think modern-day tithing. You're not supposed to just be like, ah, I'm just chucking my money somewhere. No, it's supposed to be treated with respect, like pray over it, um, ask God where to, where to put it, or, you know, whatever. So, just treating offerings to God with respect. It's really driving home the fact that God is holy and the, the reverence portion Leviticus 23 lists all the festivals that um, the Israelites were going to celebrate. So there was the Sabbath, Passover, the offering of first fruits, the festival of weeks, festival of trumpets, day of atonement, and festival of tabernacles. There are seven festivals that were laid out by God for the Israelites to celebrate. A lot of them kind of a lot like I think mo- all of them said that you do not work on that day so it's all very much about Sabbath as well and so so that's again a huge theme in Leviticus 24 there was a man in the Israelites community that blasphemed God that is very very much against the rules everyone who heard that his blaspheming of God had to be Uh, had to lay their hands on his head and then stone him. So there's a death sentence for uh, blaspheming God. So that just shows how serious that is, using God's name in vain, which honestly, I was really good at never doing that um, up until, I don't know, I want to say like end of high school or college. And then I just, for some reason, started uh, using God's name in vain. So I don't know why, I, I don't know how, why that happened, but I'm trying to get better at not doing that. But in the Old Testament, it was serious. It was a death penalty. Um, they also mentioned the rule of like the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life law that uh, Jesus will talk about. And he said, I know you've heard the law, um, you know, take an eye for an eye, life for life, things like that. And then he, he you know, fulfills that and said, turn the other cheek now um, because he came for that punishment. So, um, but this is where that was established. Leviticus 25 talks about even the land having a Sabbath so that you're not to harvest on the seventh year. I looked up if people do this and it seems like there's in the Jewish community some like loopholes. I'm sure some people do it because I've heard of like cycling the land. So let's say you have like seven plots of land. One of them will be resting as you plant the other six and then you just rotate every year which land patch is uh, not being worked so I've heard people do this but when I looked it up there's a lot of uh, it seems like there's a lot of farmers that will kind of find a loophole around this by doing like raised beds of dirt instead of the soil of the actual ground so they're still farming on the seventh year, but they're not doing it in the soil. So I guess technically they are letting the land rest, but that is another reason. They're still getting the same crop, but not um, from the ground. Okay, um, and then it also talked about the the year of Jubilee, which I thought was 
uh, interesting. I had heard of the Land of Jubilee, but I forgot I forgot that this is um, something that happened. So yeah, every 49 years, which is seven times seven, because uh, seven is a big number theme in here. But every 49 years, um, you have a special day of atonement and you consecrate the 50th year. And in that year of Jubilee, everyone returns to their own property. So if I had a chunk of land and I sold it to someone in 2000 and 2025 or 2049 was the year of Jubilee, in that year of Jubilee, I will then return to my land. That land is given back to me even though I sold it. So um, if you were poor, if you fell on hard times, you had to sell your land off. In the year of Jubilee, you get your land back for, for free. So it's like, a, it's like a reset and it, I think, helps prevent uh, a lot of poverty. So um, the other thing is that the sale, this affected like the price of land or houses sold because let's say, you know, let's say I'm in the year, let's say the year of Jubilee is 2050 and I'm in the year 2001. Okay, well, if I sell to you, um, you get the land for 50 years. So that's going to cause like the biggest price to happen on the house. But if I sell you land in 2048 and the year of Jubilee is 2050, well, you're only going to get this land for two years. So you're not going to be able, you're not going to be as willing to pay for the house. So in actually in this section of scripture, it says that the price of housing will be determined by how close it is to the year of Jubilee. So people don't like, uh, try to kind of swindle people out of um, their house or out of their money if they only get the house for a couple years, basically. So that was interesting. Um, they also say in Leviticus 25 to help the poor and to not take interest or profit if you give them loans, which I immediately thought of payday loans. And I might do like a whole, uh, you know, podcast about that because like payday loans are notorious for having a terrible interest rate, especially if, you know, you have a loan for like two weeks and then you can't pay it in two weeks because, um, you're already getting a short-term loan. You have to pay more plus interest. Then if you can't pay it off in two weeks, there's an extra fee, um, that is added to that. And so some people who get like a $200 loan end up paying just thousands and thousands of dollars in interest and they just spiral themselves into debt. So, um, yeah, that's a whole moral dilemma that a lot of states have wrestled with, it sounds like, for a lot of years. Because while short-term loans can be helpful uh, if someone's in a pinch, if they're not available, if, if they can't get any other financing, um, it can help. However, it can also spiral people into a lot of debt that they can never pay back. Okay, um, Leviticus 26 uh, really talks about how if you obey, it's tied to blessings and peace and harvest. And if you don't obey, it's tied to the opposite. So yeah, that's just uh, very, it wraps up really what the old covenant was about. And then in Leviticus 27, um, basically they talked about how the value of men and women, like when you redeem them, um, you have to pay money to the, to the uh, priest and that value of men and women is different. Now, I think it's, I, I think it's mostly a cultural thing, but I, I do need to probably research more about that. Um, but then it brings up the tithe, 
in Leviticus 27 as well, which is 10%. So um, I'll go more into the tithe and probably the value of, I mean, the men and women difference is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. So I'm going to be, I'll, I'm going to do more research about that and bring it up in another uh, podcast, maybe the next one. Because there's a lot of different theories as to why. I tried to look it up for this week's episode, and some people thought it was like a cultural thing, but then some people argued that, well, it shouldn't really be a cultural thing if God is telling the law, like, he must mean that throughout generations. Um, And then, you know, so there's a lot of debate on that one. I'm going to look it up for a different week, so just stay tuned on that one. Okay, and that's the end of Leviticus. Then we move into Numbers which I read numbers one through 11. And here's the rundown on that. Numbers one, uh, God told Israelites to have a census. The Levites were not counted in that census, but they had their, essentially their own uh, census. They were in charge of collecting the data. So the Levites are like the protected or chosen people within the whole Israelites community. The Levites were the tribe that were kind of chosen. So they were going to be in charge of all the tabernacle dealings, and then they collected the census data. Um, In number two, uh, God told each tribe where to camp. It was like circling around the tabernacle and the tent. So I think this was for protection of the tent in case someone attacked them. That makes sense. In numbers three... Um, the Levites were told that they were to perform the duties of the tabernacle, like we said. So it said to, uh, it was very specific instructions about taking care of the furnishings, um, the work inside the tabernacle, the tent, all of that stuff. So they said the Levite, God said, the Levites are mine. I'm choosing them. I will like, instead of every firstborn male as the kind of theme has been to consecrate every firstborn male of the Israelites, he just wants to consecrate every Levite instead of the other tribe. So the Levites are his chosen tribe. In Numbers 4, God goes through all of the different clans within the Levites and assigns them a job. So part of what happens with the Levites being in charge of the tabernacle is that they have to move. So they're still traveling to the the promised land. And like I said in, in the last podcast, if you missed it, basically if there's a cloud covering the tent, that means that um, the Israelites are to not travel that day, but if the cloud is gone, they're to travel and then God leads them where to travel to. But, uh, when they need to travel, they have to like disassemble the entire tent and then travel with it and then set it all back up. So the Levites are the ones that are in charge of that. And so God is a amazing manager. <laughs> I could learn some management skills from him because he was very, he, he went through each cl- like uh, tribe or clan, not tribe, because that's the, the big groups, but it, he went through every clan within the Levites and told them exactly what their job is. So he's like, you guys are in charge of the cover, um, you know, of the shield. And then you guys are in charge of the ac- actual tabernacle and you guys are in charge of carrying the poles for the tent. So great management skills told everyone exactly great management skills, told everyone exactly what they needed to do. So it was a smooth operation. Numbers five is kind of a weird one. It talks about if a husband suspects that a wife is cheating, she has to like go in the tabernacle and drink this bitter water, they called it. And if she, if it causes great suffering and like 
if she feels really bad and stuff, like her stomach swells, her abdomen swells and stuff, then she's guilty because she's impure. But if she's innocent, it will cause no suffering. And the husband had to offer this grain offering to, as an offering for his jealousy. So um, there's kind of a penalty for him if, if the, you know, if the wife didn't cheat, if she, he just accused her of, of sleeping with someone else, um, there's a penalty for him. But if she did it, then God will essentially judge her right there and it will cause her great suffering. So it's really like going into the altar, into the holy altar, and God um, is like the judge, basically. So it's kind of an odd one, but I guess it makes sense. Okay, in number six, this is where they talk about um, the vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite. So this is not required, but if you want to be dedicated to the Lord, you can be. So it's a certain amount of time. You can't uh, eat anything from the grapevine. So no alcohol, grape juice, uh, grape skins, anything like that. You cannot cut hair or be around a dead body or else your time of dedication starts over. Um, also in number six, they talk about the, uh, the blessing. There's a special blessing that says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This, I love, this is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. My dad used to say this blessing over me before I went to bed every night and me and my brother, I think. And I'm definitely doing that for my kids because that is just a a great blessing. But it's in the section of them talking about the, uh, how you dedicated yourself to the Lord. Okay. Number seven through eight talks about a dedication ceremony for the tabernacle. Every uh, tribe gave gifts to um, dedicate and cleanse the tabernacle. Uh, in Numbers 9, Moses told the Israelites to celebrate Passover. Uh, then there was a like a case where someone had, was unclean because they were exposed to a dead body um, unexpectedly, but they wanted to celebrate Passover still. So basically they had to wait until they were clean. But Moses, what I thought was a good point here is Moses said, um, when they, when they brought this conflict to Moses, they said, we're unclean, but we want to celebrate Passover. What do we do? He said, wait until I know what the Lord says concerning you. And then he went and asked the Lord and he just waited until the Lord told him what to do before he, um, before he told them. And this is, I mean, pretty simple, but it struck me as I was reading that like, this is what we're supposed to do. If you're unsure of what to do, it's so easy to just be like, well, I think this, but it's good to remember to go actually go ask the Lord and he will show you what to do. So you don't have to just make the decision for what your best guess is. You know, he was like, wait, just hold on a second. And we're going to follow what God says now. So you don't celebrate Passover, but I'm going to go ask him and he'll tell me what to do. Um, so I thought that was good. And then foreigners also, as I mentioned, have to celebrate. And that is told here in numbers nine. Uh, numbers 10 is more of God's management skills where he said to make two trumpets. And then he outlined a bunch of cases for one to use them. So like calling the community together quickly. Um, if someone is attacking, uh, it's a different signal. Um, if they're, the camps are supposed to set out, like he's supposed to give signals for each camp to set out when they travel. So it's a lot of like, it's a lot of practical communication, but they are into their second year. Um, of traveling and they leave Mount Sinai. And then in numbers 11, this is 
again, frustrating. I remember if you listen to one of my other Bible podcasts and I talked about how the Israelites were pretty annoying because they were always complaining about uh, wanting to go back to Egypt, even though they were slaves in Egypt, it happens again. Basically, they're only eating manna, uh, which is that flat bread, but it, they're, it's provided for them every day. Um, but they said, oh, if only we had meat to eat. Remember when we were in Egypt, we had free fish and cucumbers and all that. Even if we were slaves, we had so much to eat. And basically, um, God said, okay, well, you want meat? You're craving not just what I gave you. You want something else? I'll give you quail. But he gave them so much quail. And he said, I'm going to give you so much quail that you will hate meat. You will never want to eat meat again. And he had a wind come in where there were quail just stacked throughout all of the land that they were camping in. And then he struck them with a plague. So, um, I don't, uh, I don't, the meaning of this sometimes is, is hard to see because you're like, why did he do that? Why didn't he just give them quail or say like, be grateful. But he really drove the point home that you're supposed to be grateful for what God has given you in the present moment without wishing that God would take you back to where you, where he brought you out of. They, they're so short-sighted that when they crave meat, they say, oh, like, I wish I was back into slavery. I wish I was back there. They at least gave us fish and cucumbers and stuff. When, no, like God's bringing you out and he has you where he wants you. And uh, they got so impatient. And they're two years into their journey. So it's not like they haven't seen God deliver them a bunch of times. It's not like they... I mean, they're, they're a long ways away from where they were as slaves and they're still wishing they could go back. Like they will not uh, just accept that God wants to bring them to a better land. So he struck uh, a plague on them. And then um, after giving them so much quail, they just like didn't, couldn't eat any more meat. Um, So anyway, that is Leviticus 18 through Numbers 11. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, uh, DM me because this one was a very confusing, um, chapter, honestly, or or section of scripture. It brought up a lot of questions that I had just had not researched before that I was always kind of curious about. So, um, I hope you found that as interesting as I did and yeah, DM me or leave any comments on my Instagram about any of those topics. So next week we are reading numbers 12 through numbers 36. And then the week after that, we get into Deuteronomy. So, um, I am looking forward to it and I hope you all tune in next week. Thanks everyone. Bye. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for listening. I hope you liked it. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from. And I would really appreciate if you would go rate and review this podcast on the Apple store. That is going to be how we continue to grow our millennial learns family and community. So come back every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for a new episode and DM me any questions on Instagram. It's at a millennial learns. Go check me out. Follow me, DM me questions you have about this episode or any future topics you would like to see me dive into. Have an amazing week, everyone, and I will see you Monday.